I started rolling with it, and on 9-11 came around, and I lost it because of viruses. Oh, wow. And then I lost it one more time in, like, 04, I think it was 04, and it was frustrating, you know, but I still had the floppy disk, and my wife just, you know, agreed to help me, and type, I hate typing, and she typed, started typing it all out, like, she know, we're having babies. <laughs> <laughs> And boom, the brakes again. I don't know where my buddy John called me up. And he said, because uh, he heard, I uh, had the book, I had showed it to Ian McFarley. He goes, Jesus, this stuff is great. I was, he was reading some of the stuff I said to him. So he goes, you mind if I send it to my buddy John? He's, you know, he, he writes great books. He Maybe he'll look at it, help you sort, sort it out, whatever. So I said, sure. So he sent it to John. And then John hit me up and said, wow, this, this is great. These stories are amazing because I'd like to help you. And at that time, I was ready. You know, I just was like, I kind of was into this thing, like, no, I started this whole thing on my own, I want to finish it on my own kind of deal. Right, right. And we left it, you know, and then about two years ago, uh, he out of nowhere, he, uh, once again, he just sends me an email, he goes, hey, did you finish that book? You know, I'd love to get a copy, did you finish it? And I was like, man, John, I didn't, uh, I guess I'm, you know, I love your, your help, and sure as hell, man, you don't run into it. Help me put it into an order where you, you could read, read it because it was all over the place, you know. Yeah, it was just, it was just my thoughts everywhere, you know, and and like it's kind of like everywhere, and that was a big help. And then there was a lot of stuff that was getting originally never made it to it. Also, because then once we hooked up together and we started working really hard on it, um, it took a different path. Um, you know, there was just a lot more stuff. It was just really, really more intense so that's originally started back in 1989 finished it uh literally finished it this year and that's, so it's great that, that's uh that's john weederhorn you're talking about right yeah john john yeah exactly john yeah he's uh you know if you're gonna get anyone to help you uh put a book together he's definitely the guy to help you with that so yeah that was a good yeah john's amazing you know he um, he, he really simply is amazing he he just you know, I, I'm going into all this stuff, and one good thing about it that really helped both of us was that I, I'm kind of a pat rack, and I uh, happen to have like tons of flyers. And I, can, I have to have all my own records, my own T-shirts, my. I even have my I even have my studded my studded bracelets and belts and stupid. So as I'm looking through flyers and stuff, I have memories and stuff and thoughts, and so a lot of stuff you know, was really cool because. Remember dates. I can remember. I could see it all on the flyer. So it was like, it was pretty cool. It was. It was interesting. You know, it was great. Do you have any plans on like archiving any of this stuff, or like, because um, I, I read somewhere else that you have a huge collection of just, you know, basically historic, you know, archival punk and hardcore stuff. Well, you know, I I I, I do. You know, um, most of it. Uh, most of it mainly being agnostic front, you know, like it's funny, like one thing as I was putting this book together and submitting photos and stuff like that, I'm like, well, I still got that shirt. Oh man, I still got this bracelet. You know, it's really crazy to think about, to look at a photo that's from 1983, 84, and be like, shit, I still got this, you know, I still have all these shirts, you know, they're like, it's really crazy. Besides still having the tapes for United Blood and all the acetates and test presses of all my releases and all that stuff, it's just, you know, stuff that I've always kept with me. And I do, 
eventually want to go ahead and do some kind of like an a, like an AF scrapbook with all the old flyers and images, old T-shirts, all you know, everything I just talked talk to you about. What I think would be really cool, but that's something else in the plans, and hopefully I'll get to it. And that, that should be a lot easier than this book, because this book was pretty intense, man. Like the transcripts I have, even here go, going back and forth like so many times is insane. You know, it's it's, um, it's unbelievable that. It's complete. It's like the hardest thing I've done, you know. Yeah, definitely. And you know, reading reading the book, it it's uh, what I what I appreciate about it is that it's um it's very well edited. You know, I mean, you know that there's like probably, I mean, the book probably could have been like ten times the size it was, but it might not be. <laughs> it was. Yeah, it might not be the easiest <laughs> thing to read. You know what I'm saying? So it's very really yeah. well edited. You know, some. Yeah, we lost twenty pages. <laughs> I mean, what you're reading is. Minus 20 pages. Some of it was some really good stories, and it was a kind of a little bummer to lose it. But but I get it. You know, the book went through two different editors besides, you know, the intensity of John himself, who's, who's writer, editor, slash, you know what I mean? He's pretty badass. And then two extra editors on top of that. And um, it was more trying to streamline it to do exactly what it did when you read it, to, like, you to go right through the whole damn thing and not wanting to put it down and and it's got that intensity which is really cool and there was more stories about Freddy there was more stories about Vinny and more stories about other stuff but they wanted to focus it more on me you know so but but all that being said it's really not the end of the world because if we do get to a second printing you know hopefully we can throw in a couple more stories that were that were removed and the same photo wise too you know so it was streamlined, but I think the impact was was is is right, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, because like some, you know, there's a lot of books that came out in the last like few years, and um, you know, I've read most of them. I'm not gonna say all, but I've read a lot of them. And there's uh, a lot of times like you get, it gets lost in the editing. You know, the stories are uh, are interesting, but they're they ramble a little bit. You know, and and you know, part of me enjoys that. But part of me also wants to kind of get get to the point, you know what I'm saying? And this book definitely has like a well edited like feel to it, you know. Well, thank you. Definitely, there's like I said, two other editors went through it, yeah. <laughs> so it's just intense. One of the things I want to talk about is, um, you know, these days, you know, kids can just uh, click on a genre, you know, like hardcore, you know, pop punk, you know, death metal, whatever. Um, but like back when AF first emerged, there really wasn't you guys like you and as well as the Chromags and like a handful of other bands were um, were basically the creators of what is known as like modern you know hardcore or this version of hardcore or like New York hardcore or whatever you want to refer to it as. So I mean, what what sort of pieces came together to create that? Because prior to that, it was you know punk, Ramones, like that kind of stuff. So basically, what what were the, the key well, factors in creating going from like the Ramones to Agnostic Front? Well, I, like I, I think I mentioned this in my book, and I think about you know I love I, I grew up on, on on different types of music, and then when I discovered punk, it was mostly you know it was UK bands, and of course you know bands like in New York City like the Stimulators, and, uh, Ramones. It's when like Blondie and all those bands, but I what really didn't. Uh, so, you know, actually, to, to be honest with you, when the Bad Brains went to New York City, 
Another thing too is uh, basically like kind of like skinhead culture kind of finding its way into New York too. I mean, do you think that contributed to the to the kind of intensity of the music or you know the change? Well, yeah, of course the the, the youth kind of took took to that. Uh, you know, you you could say skinhead if you want, but it, it was really more of an American hardcore edge. You know what I mean? Like the youth took on to that. You know. Look, if you look back at SSD Control, you look back at Negative Approach, you look back at Seven Seconds, Agnostic Front, Minus Threat, we all had the shaved heads, you know, that type of American hardcore look. But then then we also took in the working class uh, from from the UK, which we loved a lot. And not only from the UK, you know, I, I, I love uh, Iron Cross, obviously. And uh, effigies and, and against you know like seven second skins guts and and uh, you know they're they're seven to GP so um, skin guts and brains if I remember something like that I got it somewhere I don't know but uh, you know it's just something that we grasp as an American thing but we also took in elements of, of the UK thing you know of the class you know it's, it's such great bands like. The business, last resort. You know, these were influential to us too. You know, like uh, typically, you know, hardcore is thought of as like kind of like a suburban, you know, like typically white sort of thing. And uh, New York, unlike a lot of the other cities, that especially at that time, there was like a very large uh, Latin kind of uh, you know vibe thrown in there. And uh, so, how do you think that played into like the formation of the scene back in the, in the old days? Well, it was definitely. It was definitely more of a low class. That's exactly what it was. Like lower class, you know, white working class music, kind of like what you said, like what you're mentioning. But um, it was. Um, and it was just, it was always in bad neighborhoods, all, all the shows. It's everywhere else. Um, you know, it was just, it was just a minority, and I, I don't know why, I mean, you're saying that, I'm trying to understand it myself, but then, you know, there were bands like Black Flag, for instance, singing songs like White Minority, or you have your, of your, your, um, uh, Minor Threat with, uh, Guilty of Being White and stuff like that, 
I don't know, and, and even in those songs, they never, race, race never played a thing to me, even with those songs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, which is which is weird, but then when you look look at it later on in life, or listen to it like today, whatever, it's crazy, you know, and, 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 and there's nothing, uh, they're not saying anything, I guess, wrong for the time, I guess, but imagine if Agnostic Front wrote, wrote any of those two songs would have been fucking crucified to hell, you know? But it's weird, you know? It's just one of those weird things. Yeah, because even as it stands, you guys had kind of like an adversarial relationship with like, you know, the kind of PC, uh, maximum rock and roll. Yeah, imagine if Agnostic Front, imagine if, if in 1983, we had Guilty of Being White or we had uh, White Minority, you know? Oh, you know, it's just insane, but... It, it, there were there were never malicious meanings or thoughts when they even with those artists wrote it. You know what I mean? It's just how things change so quickly. But it's true. You know, the majority of the scene everywhere in all of America was just white suburban kids and white you know urban kids. You know what I mean? But that's what it was. But of course, it, it changed. It went. You know, it, it got as it got bigger. You start to get more urban kids, and you know, you start getting all the hip hop. Into the into the hardcore stuff like that, it's just change, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, these days, like in New York, you walk around the city and uh, like the experience. Say, someone moves into the Manhattan today, right? And they go back to some of these neighborhoods. You know, they read about, they read your book, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I want to go down to Alphabet City, or I want to go down to the Lower East Side." And then they look around, and they're like. Uh, what you know? This is a completely different world than what you, you described in your book. They'd be like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Go there. Like, I, I, I'm gonna be there at the end of this month because I'm doing that book signing. And even the few times that I do go back home to New York, like three times a year, if that, it's just like, I don't even know where I'm at anymore. I'm like, "What the fuck is this? What?" This bike lanes and there's all kinds of crazy shit different places everywhere but it is what it is man it's just not my party you know I'm just I'm kind of glad I lived in the part at the times when New York was so creative and so full of art you know music and I mean all types of art you know what I mean just creativity uh, I don't see that anymore I see I see more of that more in the Brooklyn area I guess but it's just not my party anymore you know what I mean but it's it's really crazy how things have changed but my mind hasn't changed thank God it's healthy and I can sit back and reminisce on, on, on the, my past and my friends and, and I'm grateful that I'm still alive because a lot of the stuff we we went through is you know we were living amongst amongst criminals and stuff like that you know and i'm glad i i made it not all my friends made it but i'm happy to still be here you know yeah that's that's actually something i i was thinking about too is like back you know you you go you read your book and you know there's there's people that didn't make it you know there's like you know exactly yeah at the time when you were living through these experiences did you think that decades later you'd be putting this all together in a book and looking back on any of these times absolutely not I was living that live fast die young lifestyle that you know you hear the circle jokes screaming about talking about that was it that's what all of us were living we didn't really give a fuck about the future 
you know, we were we thought we were just, you know, living a living into a no world, you know, like we, we were there was no future pretty much. And we were living for the moment, living fast, and uh, we figured we'd die young. But the, those of us have made it are, you know, I'm sure they're all happy they have made it, you know, but some of us didn't. Now, do you think making it through, <clears throat> you know, an ordeal like that, do you, does it make you appreciate life anymore? Yeah, like, you know, like if, like in my book, you know, like I, I you know, I, I own my, I, you know, I own up to my mistakes and, and uh, stuff that I've done. And I kind of learned from it, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, I had to go through what I had to go through, you know, but I had to go through those experiences to learn from it. And what I did was I took the worst of those experiences and, and realized that I don't want to do this stuff again. So let me see, let me learn from it. Like even from when I was a kid, you know, and better myself. And I think that's what I've done. You know, I think I'm, I want to set those examples for my children too. You know what I mean? That's why this book was so important to me because eventually I do know they're going to read it. And I really wrote it for them to have, to read it later on in life and their their children. You know, to, to so they really know who their grandfather or father was and their, their true struggles to to be who he is today and, and bring them to where they are today because they live a very safe life. You know, they don't have they don't. This, they have nothing of what I had like when it comes to danger and stuff like that so it's important for them to understand you know you mentioned that you're going to be in New York uh, at the end of the month are you are you doing like a, a book tour or just like a couple of signings or you know are you doing anything any cool appearances to promote the book anywhere else besides New York well I'm doing one in New York and one in New Jersey at the end of this month uh, where do you live I, I'm calling from Brooklyn right now Oh man, you definitely should show up to the New York one because I got some pretty cool little thing I'm going to do there. Oh, cool. Uh, Vinny is also playing. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, and then there's a whole, there's a little tour booked around it all the way through through to December. Just like well, it's, it's kind of a combination of us celebrating our 35 year anniversary and the book release, and we're going to be playing some shows. There's a show in Queens in September, and um, but then you know just every month we have different areas like. September, we're covering most of the Northeast as we can. <clears throat> Excuse me. October, we're covering Florida. November, we're in Europe. December, we're covering the West Coast. And in combination with celebrating our 35 year anniversary and, and the book release, of course, a couple little book in stores here and there. And, and, and any where anybody comes up to me and they have the book, of course, I'll, I'll talk to them and I'll sign it and stuff like that for sure. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, combine the, the band and the book tour. That's, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I, I think it's cool because you know, it's, it's direct people that they're, that you know love AF whatever and bought the book. It's a really good opportunity to come out with it, and, and you know, and if you can't make New York City, at least I'm there. I can hit up your book, you know. Nice. So another another thing that um, and it, this is kind of like I've always had this question about like whether how much of this is folklore and how much of this is like uh true is like the boston new york uh you know kind of rivalry or beef or whatever you want to call it um because you know you read about it um i spent i lived i lived in boston for a few years like in my early part of my life and uh i just was i've always been curious how much of that was like actually folklore you know what i mean well you know like we're like with everything um you know 
the internet or anything or, or time, most importantly, it gets blown up a portion more than it really is. You know what I mean? But yes, there was a feud. And it was very short-lived and it was very non-called for because, you know, we all kind of dug the same music, same thing. Where, you know, this is that it was always this edge that that Boston and D.C. also had against New York being because New York was they considered very artsy, which is very true. Uh, New York is the capital of art, and there was a lot of, like, yeah, yeah, Andy Warhol and all these, you know, you know Blondie Talking Heads, Ramones, all these bands. And then this new, hardcore-ish, faster, younger thing was coming in. It was considered New York to be that live fast, die young junkie scene, which, again was a reality you know so it took a little bit to adopting to to accepting the new york scene of course but it wasn't as bad as what people make it out to be i think in my book i explained it pretty well that yes there was a few and a couple things happened but it was handled really quick and when and after it was handled as quick as it was handled we became the best of friends and you know both scenes especially boston and new york always had you know we all had our own uh, token tough guy, you know, um, uh, you know, people in the scene too, you know. So that's what was really cool. Most importantly to me is that not only me talking about this because I really didn't want to. These a lot of these guys are my friends now, you know. And they were always my friends. I looked up. SSD Control is one of my favorite bands ever, right? You know, and it wasn't even a feud feud with them. It was more of Fans, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. Um, yep. It wasn't really like SSD control against Ignacio Front. That shit never existed. It was nothing like that, you know, or any particular straight up band against this band. It was always the the the, the scene members against this band, or you know, it was always that kind of stuff. Till it was squashed and squashed quickly. You know what I mean? And um, it's a bit, you know, I even think in my book I mentioned that. I talk about it and talk about like one particular show where I felt like it was done with. And then, and I also mentioned that, you know, like, like everything you read through time, it's blown out of proportion. But what's really cool about it is that Al Barr, who did my forward in my book, he talks about it and he puts it into perspective that one night, that one show where everything was over, he talked about what he witnessed. So now you're not even getting my experience you're getting, you're getting someone who grew up in the Boston scene, you know, part of the Boston scene, telling you what happened that night, which is really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And um, I know that you guys impacted a lot of bands up there. Like, the first band that comes to mind is Wrecking Crew. I know that band was, like, very... Well, yeah, those guys are, are, are brothers, you know? Yeah. And that's one of the bands that came out after all that stuff. Exactly. And even though, I mean, DYS are our friends, you know what I mean? SSD are our friends. Out. Vinny loves Al's guitar stuff. Vinny always loved SSD and Al and Al's guitar, Al Baroni's guitar style. You know, me, I've always said that Spring is one of my inspirational singers. You know, so if you think about it, yeah, was there a feud? Yeah, there was, but it was more of like fans on bands than it was bands on bands. And eventually, once everybody knew where everybody was stood at. It was over. It was as, as soon as it begun, it was done. 
You know, I remember that one show when I said, you control it on stage. I said, we're here to play for you, not against you, because it was getting ridiculous. It's like, you know, we're, you know, hey, you know, we don't hate you. But it was just some of the fans that they had trouble with earlier, you know, were a little bit disrespectful. And, you know, one thing leads to another. That's all. When did you get into car culture? Well, I've always, you know, I mean, I grew up where I grew up. My 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 stepdad was a mechanic, of course, and we had like this little city bulldog gas station places. That's exactly what it was called, like a service thing in Jersey. Um, and so I was always around freaking cars. And I kind of hated it, to be honest with you, because I never got to enjoy my summers or do anything I wanted to. I always got to have to help them. And it wasn't something I wanted anything to do with. And then, you know, I got really into the bikes because I thought, you know, just watching them and watching the whole bike culture go by, I thought they were cool. You know, it was the outlaw, outcast type of a lifestyle. And I always liked that. So I kind of gravitated more to that, you know. Plus, I didn't want to get into cars or, or didn't, want, didn't want to do cars because... Just remind me so much of my youth of not being able to do what I want to do, but having to help my stepdad fix cars, and I fucking hated it, you know. <laughs> and then a little bit, you know, I got into the bike stuff more, easier to fix. I'm a, I'm a Harley Davidson certified mechanic too, and uh, I just then I got sick of the bikes because it's cool when you when you something's your hobby, but then when you start working. It kind of takes all the stuff out of her, especially working for Harley Davidson was probably what really took a lot of the, the love out of the bike stuff for me because, you know, I was dealing, dealing with a whole completely different clientele when I was a mechanic. It wasn't the same dirt bags that I was used to in the Lower East Side. We'd come in and we would talk bike and they loved choppers and loved all that crazy shit. We were talking about a whole different class of people, which kind of, eh, got away from. So then, naturally, you know, started digging more of the the custom cars and hot rods and stuff like that so that's kind of where I went back to you know what I mean I mean when I first joined Agnostic Front we used to do shows in a 1970 Challenger that I had souped up and I remember having 50s on the back for tires and we'd stick like an amp or two in the back go to Jersey and, and it could only take a person in the front seat because every time I hit the bump hit a bump and would rub the tires and go through a hollow tunnel I'd need both spaces that was how I used to go to shows you know <laughs> so I've always had cars and stuff like that it's just I don't know and I still it's still a hobby you know so it's just something I really love I love that whole <clears throat> Americano stuff you know what I mean cars and bikes and it's just something I do enjoy you know yeah, it's interesting because, like, you go to Europe, there isn't anything like that. That's you know what I mean, like, like the biker. That's like an American kind of like thing, you know. Yeah, but you'd be surprised. Europe is Europe is amazing with the bikers or car culture. It's just it's just everywhere. You have everything in Europe. It's just they, Europe really takes Europe. Europe takes in. A, loves a lot of the American stuff I mean all even as far as music even hardcore they have an amazing hardcore scene out there and they do have it it's just that America is is the home of it you know what I mean where it all began where it all started but I think Europe is throbbing on all of it you know what I mean yeah yeah but I mean it's like it, they came later you know what I'm saying it's like absolutely yeah. absolutely yeah, you know, you know, they have they have their own stuff, but you know, the, that kind of culture is definitely an export from here. You know, 
Yeah, absolutely. That's why I love that whole Americana thing. Yeah. So how how in the Northeast with the weather and all that sort of stuff? Like you know, did you have you know how is like having a nice car up here is always a pain in the ass? I think, you know, like when you were living in New York. Yeah, it was a pain in the ass. You know, I had to have my own garage space, which was an additional expense. Um, lucky enough, my my brother-in-law lived in Jersey, and I was able to. And he also owned a shop, so I was able to store my uh, one of my cars there, which was really cool for free <laughs> for a long time. But you definitely need a little bit of garage space. We had a clubhouse, you know, my club, my car club, Rumblers, <clears throat> Rumblers CC. We had a clubhouse in Brooklyn, and uh, I, and then I had one of the spaces in the clubhouse where I kept my hot rod, and then the other another guy had another space, and then we had the other two spaces for the club. So it was pretty cool. So now, now you live out west, so you know you got drier weather, and it's probably a lot yeah. yeah. Now it's just absolutely amazing. Yeah. Now I, you know, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I'm looking at my truck right now; it's just parked right outside my '63 GMC truck, right outside my house, perfect. And then I have my 1954 Chevy in the garage, <laughs> and and what I pay for my mortgage is what I used to pay for my garage. <laughs> you know? So it's amazing, you know. So I also read somewhere that you have like a pretty insane Misfits collection too. Yes, I do. <laughs> so I, I mean, do. I have. I have a. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> uh, from going back to posters, flyers again, to just about every everything they ever released, and just about every variant of every color, except for some of the some of the really crazy stuff out there that was always hard for me to get a hold on that. Someone like, um, for example, Henry Rollins has an amazing collection. He's got all the, the real, really rare stuff that I don't think I'll ever be able to have or afford because it's just out of my price bracket or I wouldn't even go for it. You know, it's just too, too insane. But I think, I'm, I think I, I'm up there, you know. Misfits is one of my favorite bands. Um, I think my... The biggest of my collection would definitely would be Agnostic Front, and it'd be the Misfits, and then Minor Threat. I love Minor Threat. I have an amazing all New York hardcore, punk and hardcore collection too. I think I have everything from like the you know late seventies to pretty much eighty the eighty four eighty five. You know, um, all the stuff that meant a lot to me, and I'm grateful that I've kept. You know. And I still enjoy going out there and playing them, playing my 45s, you know. But i tell you one thing. Like, back then, I collected more 45s because it was easier. Not only that, and keep in mind, I was in a band, so you won't believe, like, how many how much stuff I have. I, mean, I have stuff even later than 85, of course. I have all the rec- uh, uh, Revolution Records stuff. All these bands gave me their, you know, like, Gorilla Business gave me a copy of their 7 inches. Sick of It All gave me Youth of Today. So I have everything that was given to me, too. You know, so... That's the one perk about being in a band, going all over the country, and people just giving you records, mostly seven inches, you know. So I've kept them all, I saved them all, and it and it's great because um, even though now I'm older, I prefer to play LPs. I used to love playing forty fives, but now my like, shit is over too quick. I have to go get up off my off my chair now and flip it to the other <laughs> side, you know. Yeah. So, but um, I enjoy, yeah, I, I do enjoy records. More than more than a lot of things in life, I still do go like to go out into my little music room, put on put on a record, 
with my son or my daughter and uh, just sit there and listen to it. You know, they, they, they got their own little styles. But once in a while, they'll come in and they'll like, what do you listen to that? And I'll tell them a little bit. I'll look through my flyers or whatever. I got hanging. I got a lot of, like, Misfits posters and stuff hanging and just just sit back and go back in time. Do you uh, you like Sam Hain too or just the Misfits? Yeah, yeah, I've got. I love Sam Hain too. Um, I was, you know, I'm lucky to have lived through that era of seeing both bands. You know what I mean? Um, this is first, not Misfits, from Sam Hain's first show too. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. I do Sam Sam Hain, I do I do like a lot. Now dancing I do have the uh, the first dancing LP for sure. And then there's a point where I kind of you know stopped uh, taking you know, collecting if you wanna say, you know, like it's you know, it was a point where I think around eighty around eighty eight, eighty nine, you know, kinda of right right around the time I had to go do my I was on my own expense all expense government paid vacation if you know what I mean <laughs> is when things went to a halt with that but I'm glad I still have the stuff prior to that and I lost a lot of stuff in a fire after I got out of that all expense government paid vacation oh man uh, yeah so it was kind of that was devastating too but it is what it is well, I'm glad to hear that you're actually listening to the records, man. Because you, you know, I mean, I'm sure you know how many people are out there that buy records and they just like keep them in their, you know, little sleeves and never listen to them. Yeah, I don't get that, you know. But there's, you know, I don't, I don't, I really don't get that, you know. Um, I like, I, I don't consider myself a record collector. I consider myself more of a music enthusiast. You know, I love those bands were meant a lot to me it was it was part of me it was they're so dear to me so like there's a lot of these newer kids that are so-called record collectors most of them are young and you just you know i can't knock them because they're into it and and a lot of them were were excited to finally get a chance to see a band like the misfits again when they're reading your shows and stuff like that so i don't really want to knock them at it but i have more of a direct connection to it i guess you know so it means more to me when i because I lived through certain era, certain time, you know what I mean, and and I'm and I'm and I'm sure a lot of these newer guys wish, you know, or, or just because they, they 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 are sincere to what they like and wish they lived a certain era or whatever. But then there's some of the douchebag ones too, you know. Oh yeah. Just I don't get it, like you know. But yeah. it is what it is, man. The yeah, people yeah. I know in, in in the record collecting. Um, type of uh, network they're all good people some of them are young and I'm, I'm amazed too when I start chatting with them or talking to them and I say how old are you whatever and then they're like oh I'm 34 I'm like holy shit you know like I you know because oh, it was it was great chats I feel like we connected and we're talking about really cool shit you know and then to, to, to see it to think that they're 20 years younger than me it's like that we've connected on a certain level but they've never made that connection on on the live level, you know what I mean? Yeah, you know what's cool, man. What's really interesting is like, um, kind of like the early the early days of punk and hardcore. I, and my, I think that like as time goes on, like people are gonna look at that era the way we looked at like the blues and like rock and roll from like the old school days. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, it's happening right now. Yeah, you know, there's people that that 
that really have a connection to it, you know, and they're like, oh man, I wish I was born. I'm like, yeah, but you're young now, so enjoy what you got, you know? But there was definitely definitely something really special about that era that does not exist today, of course, too. But there's good bands there, too, you know? So, like I was telling you, it's just not my party, you know? It's just, I lived through a certain time and era, and I'm glad I did. And some of these kids do connect to to that era. And, and you know, you, we see it. They're at our shows, too, at AF shows. So it's cool, man. It is what it is, you know? Yeah, because it reminds me of, like, when I was, like, a kid, you know, before I got into punk, I was obviously into, like, hard rock, you know, and hard rock was, like, a different era, you know, but I would have, like, a Led Zeppelin t-shirt on, you know, but I, I at that point, I still felt like I kind of missed the boat on it, you know what I'm saying? Like, by then, John Bonham was dead, you know, it was, you know, you kind of right. realize that you were maybe a generation too late, you know, to really appreciate it, so it's, uh, but, you know, another 10 years go by and Black Sabbath's touring again, so you get to see them. You know, and it's kind of cool. Yeah, that's very cool. And then, then you have those Black Sabbath fans that saw them in 1970, 71, or two, if he was still alive, and tell you, you know, it was better then, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of crazy. So um, so the book, it's still, it's still, uh, it's not out yet, right? It's still, um, like, to the, to the general public, or is it a pre-order or mail order now still? Or? It's still pre-order. It's officially out August 29th. Okay. So it's... Okay not out I guess on August those two days I'm doing my book signing I don't think it's out either so uh, unless you grab a book right there and then because I'm doing something kind of really unique and special for them um uh, but you'll have copies you'll have copies for sale at the signings right you'll have all that you'll have yeah I think that's all being arranged I I don't this is all new to me Mm -hmm. um I personally don't have anything won't have anything there um, it's just, I guess it's all being arranged through the stores that bought a bunch of them just to have them there. I guess it's their thing. And I'm, I'm just there to promote it, you know, and talk about it, which is really cool. And there, plus these stores are my friends. So more importantly, I'm, help, I'm there to, you know, to plug, plug my friends' record stores and stuff. What, uh, what stores are they at? Like, um, where, where are they? Well, the first one is um, Generation Records in okay. New York City, and then the other ones in Randy's. Um, what's it called? Randy's Man or Randy's Cave or Randy's Man Cave? It's in Trenton, New Jersey. Randy used to do the shows at the uh, old uh, Trenton Club. Oh uh, Jesus! Sitting in that damn club, I can't remember off the top of my head. I can't even believe it. I can't remember uh, the infamous Trenton. The Showplace. Okay. In Trenton, New Jersey. So he's got a record store over there, too. So those are the two spots right now, you know, that I'm focusing on. I guess I'm doing stuff on. Then there's other ones popping up here and there. There's Revelation, not Revelation, uh, Radioactive Records in Florida, for sure, Fort Lauderdale. And uh, that's going to be in October. So this, and then plus, uh, while I'm on the road, uh, Things are getting arranged right now for maybe come early, you know, like a little meet and greet kind of deal. And and if you have the book, I'll sign it for you and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to try to make it out to the one at, uh, at Generation. That sounds cool. Um, yeah, you should because I'm doing a little thing there that's going to make some of those books that only you got in Generation Records uh, very special. Oh, okay. All right, cool. I'm definitely, uh, definitely bought into that now. 
Yeah, it's gonna make those those copies that and people who went there and got those copies something special. All right, Roger. Thanks a lot for uh, for taking some time out to chat with me this this morning. And um, so yeah, man, I'm looking forward to uh, getting a hard copy of the book. And uh, and once again, congrats. you know what? You know what? I, I I'm, thank you everything too. But I just re- I just I was just told that there are all hard copies. I think there's going to be a hard copy and a soft copy. Oh no, I mean like that. like right now I only have a PDF of it. I mean actually getting oh, a physical okay. gotcha. like an actual book that I go hold in my hands and like look at the pictures and you know. Because I, I like, as much as like I'm into digital stuff, I still like to read a book like laying down on the couch, you know, with, with the book actually in my hands as opposed to on a computer screen, you know. I'm, I am with you 100% on that. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. All right, cool. So I'll probably see you in a few weeks and, uh, and enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you, man. Take care. Rob.